0: Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome Jose Antonio, who is the president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Jose, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, you're very welcome, and um, I'm sending sunshine your way. I know you're not getting much vitamin D, or (laughs) as they say over there, vitamin D. Uh, (laughs) uh, You might uh, be jealous that it is, I guess... um, It's probably about twenty six degrees Celsius there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, one thing I'm never deficient in is vitamin D. I'll tell you that because, as you know, I'm always outside playing around.
0: So, so (laughs) So it's good to be on your show. It's good to be on your show. Thank you very much. And can you just tell us a little bit about the ISSN? uh, What you guys do? um, Essentially, sort of what it's all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, we founded the ISSN roughly 2004 so it's we're entering our 17th year and if you go back to the year 2000 or even before the year 2000 sports nutrition as a academic field of study really didn't exist in fact if you said you wanted to study sports nutrition or sports supplements people in the academic realm or in science would look at you really rather askance they thought well you can't be possibly serious because that's not a real field So what we wanted to do, and and really was just, uh, you, you might describe us as just a bunch of guys who are gym rats, although I spend more time on the water now than the gym, but really a bunch of guys who are gym rats and girls who said, you know what, sports supplements does have a role, and there are sports supplements or supplements that work for athletes, and we think that there's a need for an academic organization to promote the science of it. And that's really how the ISSN was founded, because if you go before 2004, and look at the major um, sports, I guess, academic uh, nonprofits. You had the American College of Sports Medicine. That would be the big one. The National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, and you have similar organizations, obviously, in Europe. But for the most part, sports nutrition was – it just wasn't treated seriously. And I think going from 2004 to now, you can see how the sports nutrition category as a field of science – has grown tremendously and a lot of that has to do with just a lot more people are going into the research field and you have people it's its now respectable you can go to graduate school get a PhD and say hey you know I'm studying protein or I'm studying creatine or something like that and people people think it's kind of cool and so now at the college and university level and you see this both in the UK Europe and the United States sports nutrition is now a class that is taught um, and it's pretty much universal it went from really nothing Going thirty, forty years ago to now, it is literally everywhere, and I, would like to think the ISSN had something to do with that because you know our goal we just want to promote the science of sports nutrition and the science of supplements.
0: Fantastic, cool. Which leads me nicely on to my first question, which is, um, what sort of uh, supplements are there? You know, sort of uh, that, that the research show that improves physical performance.
1: Yeah, yeah it's weird because there it's there's a bit of a continuum. Uh, and I always say, focus on the basics because we know the basics works, But then you have other supplements where, you know the data is accumulating. Um, should you take it? Well, it's one of those things where when you have limited time and limited resources, you have to be really uh, smart and choosy. So, for instance, what are the supp- the top supplements that most athletes take, particularly the ones here in the United States, and when sports nutritionists work with athletes, typically, they talk about creatine. They talk about protein, uh, particularly whey protein because there's a lot of data on whey protein. Um, caffeine is a great supplement. Uh, sports drinks. Um, y- you know what's interesting about sports drinks? Really, it's, it's sugar, sugar and water. Hmm. Um, carbohydrate gets just beaten down in uh, in social media. I mean, you'd think sugar is evil, yet we know sugar is one of the best ergogenic aids out there. Um, so, carbohydrate, um, Also… You know, things like nitrates or beetroot uh, beets. Um, citrulline is another one that's sort of up and coming. Mm-hmm. There's a whole host of supplements out there that, you know, my take on this is um, I'm not what you call a science purist. I don't need 100 studies to, to have me tell an athlete or have me tell myself what I can or should take. To me, if it helps or has a neutral effect, it's something worth trying. And, and for instance, one of the supplements I would put in that category would be citrulline. If you look at the data on citrulline, it's like, hey, you know what? It's, it looks like it works some of the time, and other times it doesn't do anything. So, what's the harm? Well, the harm is nothing. It might actually help. Hmm. So, that's one of those where peop- some people are like, ah, it's a waste of time. Well, you know what? Let each athlete decide if it's a waste of time. You know, another one, which might even be more controversial, which I find rather odd, where it's the data is not super strong, but there's some interesting data showing that. Um, Branch chain amino acids can limit or decrease the onset muscle soreness. Now, what's interesting about that is if you look at social media, because a lot of this is promoted through social media, most of what people call sports nutrition in social media is actually not sports nutrition. It is, it's um, what I call physique nutrition, okay? It's how do you look pretty? Do you need branch chains for that? No. Actually, you don't. However... If you work with endurance, uh, the endurance community, endurance athletes, a lot of them, particularly cyclists, they will take branched-chain amino acids during a long ride. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, you could say it's an added fuel source, and you know, it's not the best fuel source, but probably the best reason is, is that it de- it decreases uh, delayed-onset muscle soreness the next day or the next two days. So why is that important? Well, if you're performing a sport where you have to do something, and and it's funny, I get I get into discussions with my science friends about whether bodybuilding is an actual sport. And what's interesting is most guys who've bodybuilded tell me it's not a sport. I mean, it's like a bikini contest. It's you're just, you know, who has the prettiest body. That's not really a sport. But anyways, if you're in a real sport where you're performing something, there is no, there's no benefit to ever being sore. If you're trying to swing a bat to hit a baseball, you don't want to be sore. If, you want to, if you're a triathlete, you don't want to be sore. Pick any sport where there's winners and losers being sore has no benefit. So there's an example where I guarantee you 99% of people think branch chain amino acids are a waste of time within the context of physique sports, mm. but it's as if that's the only world that exists. It's like, well, we got physique and that's all that matters, you know, bodybuilding and fitness and figure, and they're forgetting that most people don't do that. Mm. <laughs> most people actually do real sports, whether it's soccer or you call it football or whether it's rugby or whatever. Those are real sports, so I think we got to separate sports nutrition from what I call physique nutrition, or just nutrition to look pretty.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's uh, that's quite an insight into sort of that sort of thing. Where you, yeah, I think uh, the general consensus from the evidence, sort of crowd, I suppose, uh, branch chain amino acids do get a bit of a beating, and uh, yeah, I think everyone sort of makes that sort of assumption that we're just dealing with that uh physique thing and they just sort of don't take into the context that it could be useful for other sports which is cool um so my next question is what supplements uh, have shown to sort of improve cognitive performance and brain health what have we got out there that's helpful yeah
1: you know that's actually an interesting one because um I've actually, uh, my research uh, focus, um, I still do sports nutrition, but also I'm opening an avenue of what we call sports neuroscience. Actually, myself and a couple of my colleagues actually started a new academic uh, society called the Society for Neurosports, in which we are focused on basically how exercise and nutrition affect the brain, and vice versa. And the question you asked is interesting because exercise physiologists are very good at understanding things from the neck down. We know what happens peripherally. We know what happens with cardiac muscle. We know what happens with skeletal muscle. We know we know that fairly well. But when it comes from the neck up, how does exercise affect the brain? Well, we know it's good for the brain. We're just not exactly sure why it is. Same with nutrition and supplements. If you look at specifically supplementation to help cognition, you really only have – it's hard to say you have two data sets and i think that are fairly convincing one uh creatine can help those who tend to be low in creatine who would those be vegans vegetarians why because they don't eat meat they don't eat fish they don't eat meat that's where you get creatine so for them creatine supplementation tends to help the most now it also helps older people what's interesting we're actually in the middle of a study where we're looking at creatine supplementation in young, healthy university students. So we're talking about 18 to 21-year-olds. So nobody knows because no one's worked with such a young population. You would say, well, their brains are so healthy, you know, it probably wouldn't have an effect. And that's my guess. Hmm. But you don't know. You have to do the study. Now, the other supplement or drug that would help would obviously be caffeine because caffeine uh, is very good at helping what we call sustained attention. So if you're doing a task that's repetitive and monotonous and you have to be focused, there's actually data on caffeine. In fact, I did a study looking at an energy drink. And as you know, energy drinks are based primarily on caffeine. And we looked at something called psychomotor vigilance. It's the ability to do a repetitive, boring task and doing it well. And if you're on caffeine or on energy drink, it certainly helps. Now, are there any other supplements? Well, you might put phosphatidylserine in there. You might put choline in there. You might put um, ginseng in there. I mean, there are the, this is that's sort of that category well where it looks like it might help the data is not strong because frankly no one does these kinds of studies that's uh, it's, it's cuz it's hard as hell to understand the brain um but there's something there and i think sports neuroscience as a category is growing and i think some of the new cool things that we find in the world of nutrition are going to be what it does to the brain
0: Awesome. it's great stuff um my next question being that we touched on sort of protein um I mean, what are the, what are the inherent benefits of like a, a, a getting adequate protein into your diet? So a high, let's say, you know, I don't want to say high protein diet, but you know, essential amounts of protein and um, is there any evidence to suggest there's a detrimental effect to having a, a, a diet that's high in protein? Um, great question. In fact, what I'll do first is I will I'll operationally
1: define what we call high. To me, a high protein diet starts at 2.2 grams per kilo, or in the US we like pounds, you know, one gram per pound of body weight. Now, there's mo- a lot of scientists who'd say that actually is the high end. To me, to me, to them, a lot of times high starts at something as even as low as 1.5 grams per kilo. I disagree, but that's fine. We disagree. So let's say we start at 2.2 grams per kilo. That's that's where high starts, and anything above that is high. So what's the benefit of it? Well, I, I tend to look at these things very pragmatically. There's only three things you can eat. I'm not going to include alcohol. So you, could have, you have carbs, fat, and protein. Well, unless you're an endurance athlete, the, the need for a high-carb intake is questionable. I mean, most sports do not – you don't burn the amount of carbohydrate that you would if you're training for a triathlon or you're a distance runner or a distance swimmer. So most sports, including team sports – Um, probably don't need the carb requirement that they would. So keeping that in mind, and again, my experience is dealing with American athletes. I'm not sure what it's like in in Britain. Carbohydrate intake has never been an issue. In fact, I've never heard an athlete say, you know what, Uh, Dr. Antonio, I just can't eat enough carbs. I don't know why. I I just can't find any carbs to eat. So you know, they never say that because obviously getting carbs is easy. So I always start with the premise that Make sure you get your protein intake to one gram per pound or 2.2 grams per kilo. That is the minimum. That's the baseline. Don't go below it. And then backfill the rest of your diet with carbs and fat. So start with protein and then fill the rest with with, with um, carbohydrates and fat. Hmm. Now, obviously, if you're an endurance athlete, you just got to eat high volumes of food to meet your energy needs as well as protein, carbs, and fat. So the only thing I prefer athletes count is their protein intake uh, and then – and, the, and total energy intake, uh, caloric intake. So get their protein intake and whatever's left, that would be carbs and fat. Now, should you do you have to go to 2.2 grams per kilo? Well, I think there are two issues going on here. One, you'll likely recover better if protein intake is high because obviously skeletal muscle gets damaged and you need amino acids to rebuild skeletal muscle. The other thing is, based on some of the studies that we did here at at my lab at nova southeastern university if you go to a high protein intake it is very very difficult to get fat on it you can't not that you can't but it's really hard if our data shows that you if you all you did was eat a lot of protein if anything you might lose body fat because maybe it has a super high thermic effect maybe uh, somehow promotes non-exercise activity thermogenesis it's hard to get fat on protein so from a body composition point of view maybe it's a good idea to bump your protein intake higher um, just so you don't get fat. I mean, you know, unless you're a sumo wrestler or, you know, one of the large offensive linemen in American football, there's no need to put on just mass that includes fat. Mm. So, and also at that high in intake, over 2.2 grams per kilo, we've done studies. We followed bodybuilders up to two years, much higher doses, all, uh, over three grams per kilo with no... Uh, Harmful effects on kidneys, no harmful effects on their liver, uh, nothing, and I think that's probably one of the more annoying things when you have people talking about, well, this stuff is bad for your kidneys, I'm like, "Ah." in in normal healthy people, there's no evidence that eating a lot of protein is bad for your kidneys. It's it's a total fabrication.
0: Cool. And then just staying on the subject of uh, protein. How, when we're looking at sort of protein sources, how does like an animal-based protein compare with like a plant-based protein? So, sort of what's what's yeah, that's a good question.
1: In general, uh, animal-based proteins are better; the amino acid profile is better. There was even a study that I forget where it was published, where they they actually uh, matched the amino acid profile of an animal-based protein by adding those amino acids to plant-based protein. And the animal-based protein still did better. Which is kind of interesting because there must be other things going on. However, however if the if all you do is eat plant-based protein, you can always make up for a lack of quality by increasing the quantity. So you just have to eat more of it. Now, I've you know, we've had hundreds of athletes go through our lab and it is an absolute rarity here, at least here where I am in South Florida, to find athletes that are vegan or vegetarian. It's it's just rare. However, the few that are in fact there was a bodybuilder very well well uh, a very highly trained bodybuilder who was i want to say he was vegan so very limited in his diet so how'd he get his protein well he had like six to eight shakes a day now i don't know about you, but I'd be sick of shakes after you know i can do maybe one shake a day six shakes a day i mean i think it was like soy or or hemp or something hmm. like Okay. Yeah, because how I would how much broccoli do you need? To eat? I guess you could eat beans and rice, but God, you'd be eating beans and rice all day. Um, so it is inferior the plant stuff, but you can make up for the inferiority by just you know just consuming a lot more of it.
0: Mm, fantastic, lovely. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Thank you very much uh, for sure. going through that with us. Um, and have you guys got anything coming up with regards to the ISSN, like events or anything?
1: Yeah, if you guys um, – hey, do you like the beach? You like the beach, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, Daytona
0: Beach is one of the
1: iconic beaches in the United States. We have the do- Daytona Beach 500. It's a pretty cool race there. But um, the the 17th conference, annual conference, ISSN, will be Daytona Beach, Florida, uh, June 18th to the 20th. And literally the hotel is on the beach. So, And I don't know if you've figured it out, but people have, have noticed that all my conferences for the national meeting is on the beach (laughs) because i like the beach (laughs) but there's always that trade-off it's like uh you walk into a lecture hall you're like where'd everyone go and well they're at the beach so you know people treat it as a vacation they go to like one talk maybe two then they go to the beach and they have a margarita or something but Excellent. Daytona Beach I love it it's one of my favorite beaches um, if you if you can surf there's might be surfing there or you could paddleboard I love the paddleboard out there but um, you'd love it you know and you know what you'll get a lot of vitamin D vitamin D Perfect. Yes. Perfect. <laughs>